Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the second hour of Ghost Chronicles Radio. For those who are just tuning in, check out iTunes or TojiNet tomorrow and listen to the first hour, where you will hear Cal and I and Steve sing karaoke. Oh, Anyways, wow. <laughs> I am Ron Kolick, your host, Gatekeeper of the Realm, da-da-da, da-da-da. And uh, before I get started, I'd like to thank our newest patron member, Quinn huh? Doobie. Good thing Woo-hoo! I wrote these down. Except I can't I can't write I can't read it my own writing. It sucks. Uh, Anyways. Awesome. And we also want to thank Craig DeGrout, who upped his uh pledge to us, which is totally oh. unbelievable. I don't know. He likes us even better. Ever since that video we made, Ann, I'm telling you where I, I oh. read on uh Leslie. Craig, and you're also, the best. Anna Isabel Rocha and my good friend Susan Brown. So, with me, my co-host, all the way from her penthouse, uh-huh. in the Halloween castle of the world, Anne Kerrigan. Yes, hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, I hope you all had an excellent Halloween. You know what happened to me? I have to share. I have to you share. Besides, no. Besides oh. the fact that it's freaking snowed here the night before Halloween, which is incredibly depressing to me, but the next day made up for it because we were doing this little, uh, it was actually a fundraiser in our little town uh, mm-hmm. to raise money for the food pantry and also help the hit kids have lots of fun on Halloween. Uh-huh. So it was called the scavenger hunt and my house, it was a contest for the best decorated house and my house won. Excellent. Yay! Yay! I'm Yay. so excited. Well I got a prize. It made my, it, it redeemed my whole Halloween because I was having a big old pity party for myself. Um, no, I didn't I, notice. Yeah, no, I know. No one noticed. Uh, like, yeah, completely, completely slipped past me, yeah, that one. Slipped past <laughs> the radar, didn't it? Right? Yep. Oh, my God. I was so sad. Halloween Eve. I'm like, it's snowing. That was so cool. The, the, those two skeletons canoeing didn't they around look cool, the... Steve? It yeah. did. It looked like it, it was. It was bizarre. I oh, loved it in a good way. Yes. Yeah. Now, if that if that had happened here, that would have made my Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> it did Think not. About make fundraisers. It. Maybe we should do a fundraiser to raise money for Cal to get a new tank. At least change the water in the old one. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure what you're talking about, but that's all right. I, I hope they add – it was when I was a kid, we used to, um, in the swimming pools, they used to add this um, uh, dye. And if oh, anybody, I remember that. If, yeah, anybody, if anybody pee-peed in the water, the dye yeah. would um, – and do they have one of that – do they add that dye to the, to the tanks? No, but I remember Because I would dye. insist on it. you remember when you came out of the <laughs> – you came out of the changing rooms and there was the foot bath you had to walk through and oh, then out yeah. again yeah. before yeah. you then went into the, the Veruca bath. bath. Yeah, and that sometimes is a brown liquid when it went in. Oh. Yeah, the, the Veruca bath. Yeah. Oh. Don't get those anymore. Always full of sock fluff, our local pool. <laughs> sock fluff! And yeah, you, 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 you don't, do you not get sock fluff? 
What do you take no. your socks like off? Lint? No. Yeah. No. Like toe lint? No, yeah. It's just the. What about you know, Oh, I don't want to know. Yeah. Go to no. the bottom of the pool. There's someone's dentures, a lot of key, yeah. some elastic. Hey, seriously. Yeah. I don't go in public pools. That's seriously, seriously I, when, when, when we, were, uh, we were on holiday as a kid in, um, in uh, one of these holiday camps, and they had an open-air outdoor pool, um, I used to love swimming underwater. It was one of the great things that I used to do. I used to you know, put the goggles on and swimming around underwater. It's way more fun. And uh, I dived down, dove down to the bottom of the uh, the pool one day, down to the uh, six foot level, and uh, I was only about nine or ten, and came back up with this what I thought was um, a marble, and it was a glass eye. Ah! <laughs> oh, no, oh, that's no. sweet. No, still got oh. it. No, no, no. no damn, no. damn. I had to hand it in. Someone uh, must have been per- looking my... for it. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, but I, you know, you start looking around. Then people are, you know, sort of around the pool, going, "Is anybody, you know, like not looking where they're going?" Or I wonder if it belongs to that pirate over there. First of all, I thought you, I thought you were going to say it was one of those Baby Ruth bars from that movie. Oh, no, no. The, the bottom, the bottom of most swimming pools is a mixture of band aids, rubber bands. Oh, that's gross. You know, and all sorts of uh, you know bits of bits of human detritus. But a glass eye. Strange detritus and water. Joining us now is our hey. favorite aquatic parapsychologist, <laughs> Kelly Cooper. Doctor, 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 Kelly Cooper. Oh. Greetings, greetings, greetings. Hello, Kaloom Cooper. Cal, yeah. I can't believe you signed up for a second hour of this mayhem. Oh no, no, probably not the whole. I'm, I'm here. I'm oh. here just to say hello. Just to say yeah. hello. Oh, hello. All right. hello. He's like, yeah. I'm not. Cal, Cal has been doing a lot of experiments in, in the life aquatica, and uh, he's, uh, he's come up with some interesting experiments. And we are so excited because uh, he's uh, shared some of his experiences on this show, haven't you, Cal? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, um, so many of them. Yeah, so many. There's so many, I, I can't even recall them. I, I've forgotten more than I know. <laughs> well, do you think you could recall a few while I, while I have a bathroom break? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, you go well for the, the, listeners, the listeners that have just joined this show um, that weren't aware of what's just been said with the other one, yeah, we've been working for parapsychology. We've just started working on flotation tanks again. Um, but like our department at the University of Northampton, our research group isn't just parapsychologists. We have transpersonal psychologists, people interested in religious and peak experiences, and neuroscientists as well. And some of those are a combination of both. So with the flotation tanks, there was a pilot study done in 1980 trying to look at elements of ESP, perhaps through the hallucinations people have while in flotation tanks. And um, it's just never been done since then. We've joked about it at conferences. We've always had this technique called the Gansfeld, another system of relaxation where you're in a big reclining chair, you've got eye shields on and red light beaming down and you're listening to static for an hour. But the the tanks um, produce an altered state far quicker than that because you're floating in there for an hour, you're naked, the water is to blood temperature, so you don't feel hot, you don't feel cold, you you just feel absolutely content, it's very comfortable. The amount of Epsom salt allows you to just float in any way, shape or form that you take. And the hallucinations are very distinct. The only way I can describe it is is like in a darkened room, but if you could see someone smoking next to you, it's like they're blowing cigarette smoke in front of your face. You've got this kind of blue, very distinct mist that if you're focusing on your peripheral vision, 
you can see it quite distinctly, if that makes sense. It's weird. You've still got an eye on your, your vision straight ahead, even though to focus on your peripheral vision means not quite looking directly at it. Um, and so we've done the pilot and we got some funding to take that forward. Some of the initial visions that we wrote down and drew and compared to these targets that we're meant to be focusing on is quite compelling when you look at the two. Um, so we're going to take that forward. So that pilot was published in the January edition of the Journal of the Society for Psychical Research. And we'll be going at this for another three or four years because we've got bigger books, bigger funding, and we've got our Definitely. own tank campus. So we can do a lot more and uh, many, many more trials as well. So bigger. So, bigger and so Cal, when you're, you, you've pretty much <laughs> devoted your life for the next three or four years to this. Yeah, that and other projects. I mean, I'm, I'm heavily working Oh, so on... you, you still work on other projects as well? Oh, God, God yeah. We're, we're in a 10-year-long project on after-death communications. Okay. Um, and analyzing the responses from over a 1,000 questionnaires we got back recently uh -huh. on that. Um, and they were really detailed because it takes at least 40 minutes to fill in the questionnaire. Um, I've just done a chapter on that for the latest book on evidence for life after death through the SPR. Um, and I also did another chapter. I wrote two chapters. I wish I'd not, not committed myself to so many things, but I did another chapter on these exact same experiences, but only within the funeral industry, mm -hmm. um, because oh. there has only ever been one study on that, and it was a PhD by um, Joanne McMahon at um, it was at Saybrook University back in 1987, and she looked at after-death communications and then said, surely coroners, um, funeral directors, and their assistants should be quite prone to having these even though a lot of people would say they're quite non-superstitious people and emotionally detached because it's not their bereavement. It's just a job, and a very routine job. So if they do have experiences, what experiences do they have? So I've been looking at that and, and many other Has there been a really. correlation at all? Um, again, it was mainly on surveys and responses. The, yeah, I mean, uh, compared to for your series, you statistically. The, the, again, we're not really working on a statistical basis with that. She'd approached 50 um, participants oh, okay. through a, um, a mortuary school in San Francisco and got them to fill in questionnaires, and it just demonstrated that against there was a book by Edward Martin in 1945 called The Psychology of Funeral, I think, and I think that's all it was. And he said, oh, you know, funeral directors are very non-superstitious as far as he was concerned. But by the time Joanne did the study in the 80s, um, most of her sample, I think 40 out of the 50, were religious or previously held a religious faith, and half of them were still practicing it. And most of them believed in life after death, even though they were quite skeptical in terms of their day-to-day -day attitudes towards this. But they experienced everything from working on a body and um, sewing it up to doing their makeup and then experiencing a sense of presence mm -hmm. through to seeing apparitions. But the apparitions would be very non-related. They'd be, I don't know... Um, sewing up and, and taking care of a middle-aged black man on the table, and then they'd start seeing an elderly Asian man in the corner staring at them. And oh. it wouldn't just be in the mortuary. It'd be in other places as a funeral home. Another person was doing the lock-up one night and getting ready to go to the night office at 9 o'clock. He worked from 5 till 9 and then 9 till 7. Uh, but from 5 till 9, he saw guests and clients in, and then 9 till um, late night, lock up everything, but then only deal with call-ins to bring in a new body. As he did that, he went and uh, checked the public restrooms and the light had come back on and the tap was fully on, the faucet was fully on and it got condensation, so it had been on for a long time. Huh. And when he switched it off again with his clipboard that showed that he'd done those checks and he was adamant he had done those checks and why did it come back on, the building was locked. 
he went back to this corridor that showed 12 visitation rooms. You could see the doors all the way down it, very much like the corridor in either Willy Wonka or The Shining, where you've got these long corridors. <laughs> and he looked at the end, though, and he'd already looked at the end of the corridor before he went in. There was a candelabra at the end. And he came back out of the restroom, having switched off the light and the tap again. He looked back down the corridor, and lo and behold, there was a semi-transparent man, though very clear to him, staring at him. And he started staring at him. This figure did move a little bit. He was wearing somewhat baggy brown trousers, um, what could only be described as a checkered lumberjack-type shirt, ruffled hair, and was holding a cap in his left hand. And he said, I can't remember how long I was staring at him for, but we locked eyes and I was petrified, but I was holding a baseball bat because after the tap and the lighting, <laughs> I thought we got a break in. And I stared at this guy. I could see through him to the candelabra and then he disappeared. So I went back to the night office and I locked the door. And then he kept it to himself for a couple of weeks, then told the receptionist. And she said, oh, that's one of the founders. That's Mr. McKinney. He, oh, he found this place and the cemetery behind it. You're not the first one to see him. The florists who work in the shop next door, they've seen him as well, just staring at them. Wow. So there's all those kinds of experiences mixed within there. It's very interesting. And I've got a lot of um, people that I know, certainly one very close friend who's um, a coroner for Northampton. So I hear of all these current day stories all the time and they're very, very common, but very underexplored because it involves a lot of ethics and, and stuff before you go into it. It's not for the faint hearted and you've got to be very prim and proper about it. Right. Wow. I, I can't even imagine, I mean, you deal with the dead every single day, mm-hmm. and I know that you're supposed to be detached and, and you know, kind of ambivalent to all of it, but, you know, what if you suddenly discover you're not? Well, there's that expectancy and anticipation there from what have you picked up from fiction and films, and, and also still you're working with a body that looks, you know, to some people that... You could argue, actually, when you, you see a dead body, it's very different to when someone's sleeping. You can feel or sense a distinct difference. But uh-huh. still, there may be that anticipation that any moment they might wake up and uh, they might open their eyes. Uh, but the right. argument is they are not emotionally attached. They don't know that person. They don't know their history. They don't know their, their mm. personality. So anyone saying, well, it's due to bereavement and that's why they're having the experience, it's, it's a non-starter for these people. They're professionals right. and this is what they do. So we've got to lean to other explanations as to why they're having everything from that sense of presence through to the apparition and the other things that I've just described. Why them? Many, wow. many years ago, parascites are actually called upon to investigate a funeral home. Oh. And, uh, an active one or an An extra? active working funeral parlour. And when we arrived, there were uh, four cadavers there and one arrived uh, at the midpoint um, of, of the, uh, the time we were there. Um, the, the reason we've been called in is that, um, in addition to some vague, um, experiences, uh, noises and shadowy corner of the eye phenomena, the, the staff that worked there were being spooked by an office door that would, st- uh, open, um, it wasn't a locked office door. It would it would be it would swing wide open, and then it would swing periodically um, back and forth. And that was which something they found very unnerving. And um, there was obviously uh, somebody started a story about it being haunted, or it was the ghost that was doing it, which caused some you know some of the staff to be a little bit nervy. And uh, ultimately, they called us in. And uh, after 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 a visit, um, we spent we we'd spent the evening there, the night there, in fact. And uh, we solved the mystery. 
And the mystery was all down to a portable uh, gas heater that was used in the office because um, the office was an unheated part of the building was really quite old and the heating didn't obviously you didn't want heating in the mortuary or the um, the embalming no. room um and so the office was adjacent to that but they had the, they'd given the staff in there the um the um, comfort of a small portable uh calagas heater um liquid natural you know an lng gas bottle heater um and what was happening was when the when this device was turned on uh, that we noticed that the door would start to move and when it was turned uh, off after a few minutes the door would cease moving and we 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 got some smoke candles on our second visit and so we were filling the place with colored smoke with the permission of the of the Sweet. and discovered that what was actually happening is when the fire was lit the warm air was rising up obviously cur- and curling across the over the top of the door and then cooling and falling back down to floor level and was drawing cooler air beneath the door. And the process of warm air going one way over the top of the door and cooler air going the other way underneath the door was causing the door to swing back mm. and forth. Um, so, so there we are. But it was... Did you... It was, uh, I was going to say, what, what was really interesting from Anne and I's perspective as well was uh, not just the, you know, the, the solving of the mystery, which is always a good thing, but was the, the effect it had upon the team um, who had to periodically, you know, sort of walk into or, or remain in the mortuary where the cadaver was or mm. were, and there were several of mm. them. And yeah how deeply um, nervous these people were when they were around um, the deceased. You know, there was a, there was a, a, a very noticeable change in their behaviour, the way that they were, even the volume of speech, that, you know, the way they were talking, they would, they would, they would speak in hushed tones and then come <laughs> out again. They weren't eating their uh, sandwich so quickly anymore. <laughs> no, but no, what, what was funny is the only... Um, uh, sink and kettle. I said it was an old building. The only sink and kettle for making hot drinks was actually in the in the embalming room, which mm. meant that you had to go in there when it was your turn to go go and make the coffee or or you know tea 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 because we're English. Um, you had to go in there and with these four. I mean, it's different than a mortuary where they're covered up with a, a little cardboard tang on their toes. You know, in a in an embalming room, they're they're fairly well. <laughs> laid out and, mm. and exposed yeah. um what do you mean Ugh. yeah we weren't using them to make the tea they were just <laughs> sharing the space with us <laughs> they're glad but it's just, it's, it's just reminded me actually completely unrelated but um relevant kind of is that um a member of the team at the time uh, a guy called jeff keeler um, was uh, he worked at the at the funeral home? He was a driver um, for them. Uh, he drove the hearse, amongst other things. And one of his other duties was to collect um, the deceased and to either take them to or from the funeral home, or to, if they were you know from a different part of the country, um, to you know. They're, you know, onward on their journey, and it required several times. It may be a drive down to London, and then then up to Scotland, um, and vice versa. Um, and we, on, on several of these occasions, when it was a longer trip, um, I I would accompany him. And we had this trip. We had to go down to London to pick up um, 
an Irish gentleman and then transport him up to Scotland to put him on a ferry to take him to Ireland. And our, our part of the journey was to collect him from London and then take him to the ferry where we were met by the Irish undertaker and he was transferred. Um, but en route, um, we, had to, um, we had to stop and eat. And we decided to do that at Heathrow Airport because we both like watching the aeroplanes. So we stopped off at McDonald's, offered the guy in the back, you know, did he want anything? He he never said anything, so we just left him where he was. <laughs> <laughs> lost, his appetite. Yeah. lost his appetite. Lost his appetite. But then but then halfway back up the back up towards Scotland, we were told that the, the ferry had been delayed due to bad weather and that we couldn't continue, you know, obviously the Irish undertaker couldn't meet us. Um, now, the funeral parlour, um, the funeral home, uh, was closed. We couldn't access it to, to leave the person somewhere. Um, now, fortunately, my first wife was also a nurse at the time, as was I. And we negotiated to, because um, we couldn't leave it in the van, in the, in the ambulance either. So we had to leave the deceased in his temporary coffin in our front room. Um, <laughs> For the night. <laughs> so we'd taken this guy to we'd taken this guy by the time we we dropped him off the next day in Scotland, we'd we'd taken him to McDonald's, we'd taken him plane watching, and then parked him, you know, for the night in our front front room. Best trip he's had of his life. Wow. He, he never said Got a word. T shirts and never candy thanked us. Never thanked us. Never go. thanked us. Nothing. Miserable. Cal, uh, I, I, I have I a question. I, Oh, for you, Cal, and, and this is regard to parapsychology and mediums. What, what is the what is the view of mediums in parapsychology, academic parapsychology? I mean, that that would require another three or four hours, really. <laughs> That's the typical question, Ron. Or the view, I mean, I mean, I mean. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've got some friends that are, are mediums and, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, and, and not naming any any of them in particular. I'm, forward, I'm forwarding the podcast of this uh, show to Barry John afterwards. <laughs> to who? Barry John. All right. Um, you know, we've not taken them into the lab or anything like that or tested them, but I've, I've spent a lot of time with them and watched them work. And, and sometimes I've seen something that I think, oh, that's interesting, you know, if that was a stab in the dark and nothing's going on. But all the people that I'm friends with that are meetings are, are very sincere in, in what they're saying, you know, that they, I, I've watched them very closely, you know, that they live and breathe this and they seem very honest in what they're saying about their, their abilities. They genuinely believe they've got them. And um, uh, I've, I've seen the odd occasion where I think, you know, that's quite interesting because I've sometimes try to go up against them and do things like cold reading and Barnum scripts and pretend oh, yeah. that I've got this ability. And sometimes I've had some interesting results myself, but I would argue that I'm getting that from flukes and knowing psychology and following people's body language, the way they react to something that I say and knowing how to quickly change tactic or go down a different route. But, you know, what does parapsychology think on the whole? Well, there have been the odd few people that have completely slept, slipped the net of conventional explanations and just never really been explained as to how they can actually do what they claimed they were doing. People like um, Eileen Garrett, Mrs. Leonard, Mrs. Piper, um, I suppose to a large extent Will and Rudy Schneider, Stella C., um, Dr. Alex Tanis, 
um, Franek Kluski, you could go on and on. There, there are people that you can name where as much as people on the internet might want to say that these people got debunked and so forth, that's not the case when you read the reports all the way to the end, all the fors and all the against. There are some people that just remain unexplained and now they're no longer with us. We won't know, but we know there were very thorough experiments at the time they were about and being tested. Well, that's the thing. In, in the beginning of the SBR, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, I'm sure you will, uh, there was a lot of work done with mediums, and it doesn't seem to be any that I know of now, but, you know, I'm not as astute to what's going on in the academia as you are. Cal, are you answering that? <laughs> Sorry, I turned my microphone off because I had a Dorito in my mouth. I'm still crunching. <laughs> <you are. laughs> well, I, th I think, well, Wally eats a Dorito. Um, I, th I think part of the problem, um, I mean, there was, there was as, as, as you rightly say, Ron, there was a, a cooperation between um, the SPR and the, the spiritualists, as, as mm. they were then referred to. Uh, but then became, there was a falling out, a parting of the ways, and um, there is there is now co uh, collaboration again. Um, particularly, I mean, Cal once he's finished his Doritos, will talk about one of his many visits to the <laughs> SNU um, at St Stam. What's the mm. name of the place? Yes, um, I'll get it in in the last minute because I see we've got a minute. It's um, Stansted Hall, so it's the Arthur yeah. College. And for ages they were resistant towards parapsychologists, but then when they realised we weren't we weren't debunkers, that's not what we do. We're in it to actually test the claim and understand it and, and figure out the science behind it. They became very open, and we ended up with a lab space um, in um, part of um, the attic that they had there. So it's all kitted out for Gansfeld and meetings and debriefs and experiments. And that's, again, where we're looking at brainwave activity of the mediums, people training to be mediums to see what happens when they claim that they are channeling the dead. So um, even since early psychical research through to now modern-day parapsychology, there have been nice overlaps where the spiritualist community have worked and they genuinely also want to know the answers as well. Well, Harry Price had a, had a room. Well, I'd say been in the early, well, you got to go anyway since 50. Yeah, so. Harry Price, top floor of the College of Psychic Studies in That's London, right. was his lab space, which he rented for very, very little, and below Queen, him lived Eileen Garrett. Tunes, guys. Cal, you leaving us? Yeah, I'm leaving you. I've got to go now. I think all right. I pushed it. You have a nice night. Thank yeah, you. You too, guys. Good Lovely night, to meet you all. Bye-bye. tomorrow. Bye -bye. Yes, you'll listen to Ghost Chronicles International. We'll, I mean, no, next generation will be right back <laughs> after the following message. <laughs> what the hell I'm listening to now? <laughs> I haven't known for the last 90 minutes. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, Get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello, hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the meeting of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. 
two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he is a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I am required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Anne. And tonight we have Steve Parsons staying over for more torture, I mean discussion, on uh, <laughs> from Ghost Chronicles International. And we just said goodbye to Cal Cooper, and it was great to hear his voice. So. Callum E. Cooper. Doctor, oh, doctor. Doctor. Doctor, doctor. Cal, Callum E. Cooper. Doctor, doctor. He's doctor, doctor. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Don't shot change him. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, here we are. We're back. We're back. Anyway. Hello. All right. So, Steve, you still with us? I am. No, that's too bad. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You want me to? No, 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 no. I don't so, know. anyways, I've got these paranormal quiz questions. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I thought boy. we were going to throw those out. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's me uh, off to a, off to for an early night. Oh, come on, there's only three of them. Get over it. Come on, Steve, don't bail on me now. My oh, goodness. Right. I was uh. just checking the BBC News to see uh, what the score is. Oh, <laughs> good for you. Yeah. So what are we doing? I, yeah, I don't know. No one. So you know, all this. right. Never. I won't do them. Then if you guys. No, are go so, on. We're oh, so averse to them. Oh, so there's you've got to be multiple doing choice. Okay. I'll ask you the questions, you write down your answers, and then at the end of the I'm show, I'll give you the well. answer. What's that? You have got to write as well. Well, okay. you can memorize them, too. I don't You're give a crap. in the dark here. Go it's on, It's awfully late for Steve to be writing things down. Oh, too okay. bad. He's a big boy. A, you can I'll let him put suck it up. On. I'll put a lamp on there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 243 and 214. Are you ready? If anybody's listening, interested. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. This is right up your alley, Steve, too. Wow, that's pretty close. The film, White Angel, which tells the story of a serial killer, eerily, eerily foreshadows events which were to come to light two years later by being partly filmed in which street? And these are your choices. Baker Street, London, the home of Sherlock Holmes. That's A. Downey Street, London, the future home of Margaret Thatcher, that's B. And Cromwell Street in Gloucester, the home of Fred West, that's C. So Baker Street, Downey Street, or Cromwell Street, those are your things. Write them down. I won't give the answer till the end of the show. Are we good? Well, only if you say it's Cromwell Road and not Cromwell Street. No, it says Cromwell Street, sorry. It's wrong. It was Cromwell Road. Well, you gave me these, so screw you. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, don't give me crappy stuff. <laughs> okay. It's a typo. Fine, if you say so. Stuff is made in England. What do you want? All right. 
Every two hours for three weeks in the summer of 1985, a Malaysian man produced what from his right eye? A maggot? A large infested abscess was found behind his eye during postmortem. Oil. Mm-hmm. Produced B, oil. B, a green emerald tear. Doctors failed to explain this. Or C, a piece of cotton that was always the same color of the shirt he had on. So A, a magnet. B, a green emerald tear. Or C, a piece of cotton that matched the shirt. Got your answers, children? Yes. All right, final one. Psychic Margaret Film Fleming projected her thoughts onto film. Do you know this one, Steve? Uh, no. Okay. Psychic Mag- Margaret Fleming projected her thoughts onto film. What image was found on the film when it was developed? A, a basking hippopotamus. <laughs> B, a leaping nude. That's a naked woman. Or C, the Mona Lisa. So you have a hippopotamus, a nude, or the Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, not Mona. Mona. It's Mona. She's oh. not moaning. Come There's on. no age yet. If, if it was Mona Lisa, it would be M-O-A-N-A. Yeah, okay. But Mona. Mm-hmm. And trust me, I've All met right. some Monas. Moving right along. I bet you have. Most yeah. people... Most you, said that was the, you said that was the last question. What do you mean moving right along? Moving right along to the show. Ah, oh. I thought. Hey, while, while, um, while, you're ask, while you're asking those questions, I was, um, I was looking at uh, some stuff I downloaded <laughs> earlier relating to radioactive watch dials. Yes. My favorite As you subject. do. As you do. And there's, a, there's an interesting question here that maybe we could throw open to the... It's, it's posed um, on a forum by a concerned parent. And it says, mm-hmm. is my child in any danger? They've just eaten two... They've just swallowed two radioactive watch hands. Oh. First of all, who the hell How has radioactive watch hands anymore? Well, apparently this person's child... I mean, not now. I mean, immediately. This is quite an old forum, but um, oh, okay. They're, okay. they're postings. I mean, like, we're talking like within the last year or so. Um, that their that their child has eaten or swallowed two radioactive watch hands. Yeah. First should of they, all, should... how the hell would anybody do that? I don't know, but what? The, the, the answer's quite the answer's quite interesting. Um, yes. Um, Just have to watch to see what comes out. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, no, it's actually, don't be concerned about the uh, huge amounts of radium that your child or three-year-old has just consumed. Be more worried that the sharp watch hands might perforate their little tummies. Uh, oh, worse, yeah. their intestines. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Personally, I would, in those one of those, I'd be concerned about the parent. Because, <laughs> as, as Ron said, how the hell did you... Does a three-year-old get two yeah. radio watch hands? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, is it inside a inside a crystal? I I uh, just can't even imagine how that would even happen. I they, just don't. They didn't. They didn't elucidate, unfortunately. But. Well, you know what? <laughs> this this. Uh, what are you doing with your children? Give them a toy <laughs> to play with, not a watch. <laughs> not a radioactive one. Is what I want to know. I love those. I thought those were the coolest thing. Radioactive dials. 
I love uh, those. What, when I was a kid. What? I don't even know what a radioactive dial is. Are you what, kidding I, me? No. What are you talking you, about? You actually will have encountered one of several um, when you went to visit your grandparents or even your parents. Sure. They would have had on the bedside um, a glow-in-the-dark um, alarm clock. Alarm probably clock. made by okay. West. Probably made by West clocks. West clock okay. for sure. And, yeah, the, uh, the numbers would flip. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no, no. That's, the, the that's fit, electronic. We're not talking electronic. The, hand, talking the hands electric. would glow in the dark. Ah, okay. All right. And gotcha. It, that was done using a high, uh, using a, a, a paint that was a mixture of zinc sulfide and radium. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was, had the same thing on them. Yeah, I exactly. Did not know and, this. Right. And a lot, some early motor car and air, air, aircraft dials, aeroplane dials, um, had similar things. But um, if you put a Geiger counter, it would go off, right? Oh, it'd go right off the scale. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. I, I, I have uh, an original 1920s West Clock uh, alarm really? that, that, that I, I managed to find on, on, on eBay a few years ago. And my Geiger counter can find it at, from about uh, six or seven feet away. <laughs> yeah, that was bright. Oh, wow. Yeah, and these things were on the bedside. You yes. Know, um, Okay. And you know this. This is why you know one side of Granny's face was always you know three shades darker than <laughs> <laughs> than the other. Hey, and speaking just, speaking uh, about that, Steve, that. Which, which you know we're talking about uh, you know clocks on the bedside. Uh, we also know that um, the today's alarm clocks. Um, if you still have an alarm clock, most people use their phone now, but they give uh, off a lot of uh, EMF well, as well. Yeah, and so the closer they have it to very... your head when you sleep, go ahead. Yeah, well, actually, yes and no. You're absolutely correct, and that's been that's been demonstrated a number of times um, where people have measured the EMF from the bedside alarm clock. But yeah. it specifically relates okay. to the old. You know, the old ones that had the red the red display. Yeah, red yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, they're the, they're the ones that do it. The more modern LCD devices don't yeah, yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah, we're not talking about LCD. We're talking uh, but about if you have if you have one of these, uh, like they have in many hotel and motel rooms, exactly uh, that has a red fluorescent uh, time time uh, display, yeah. then don't have it next to your bedside because ah. you're giving yourself a a, a dose of um, electromagnetism that several orders larger than your mobile phone will do. Ah. Yep. I usually right. throw a towel over them. What have your mobile phone? They're they're too bright, you know. <laughs> so I just well, turn them around the other way, or I use my phone. Yeah, that's what I use. Yeah, but if I see just one, move it to the other side. I had Jen move it to the other side of the nightstand because she yeah. used to do that all the time. She'd sleep just... right next to her head. Yeah. I just turn it around, or I'll throw a towel over it. I just can't. Turn it around's not good. You're still going to move it. Actually, turning it around makes it worse because uh, most yes. of the radiation actually comes from the comes rear of the back. unit. Yeah. Right. Oh, good to know. Well, <laughs> not many hotel yeah. rooms have them anymore, so yeah. There you go. Uh, so that's our public service announcement there today. We go. Okay, yeah. folks. Sorry, I. I, I yeah. No, that was a good one, Steve. I, that it's was just that how was... I get through. It's just how I get through the show because I, you know, I'm sort of like while people are. Cal uh, <laughs> was talking. Cal and you're just going on the internet. No, 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 no. Cal was Cal was um, talking about his his interesting work, um, bobbing about in in a bowl of soup, uh, ah. for which he for which he was the primary ingredient. 
Um, and I still had on the screen some radiation stuff I was looking at from earlier, and I was just scrolling down through it. And, and as Steve knows, too, also we're talking about radioactive glass, too, right? Yes, we do. Oh. We have a great fondness for uh, Vaseline glass, and particularly yeah. the green radioactive stuff. Mercury, which they I... call it mercury glass, too, right? Do they? Lead glass. I believe, I believe so. They call it mercury glass. It's surprising. It glows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it's it's surprising just how much radi- natural radiation, you know, from from domestic products is around us. Um, you know, I I did a thing for the local Cub, uh, Boy Scout group, uh, Cub Scout group they have here in the UK, and um, we were we we had some of these sort of normal domestic things that 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 you can find in the homes because people here in the UK are very scared of radioactivity. You know, we get yeah. we we live in a high radon gas area here, and people get all sort of worried and. Gotta die of something, Steve. But uh, they they they, they they don't give a second thought to the smoke detector attached to the ceiling, um, <laughs> which, which has got um, americium two four one in it, which is mm-hmm. basically the same stuff or, or related. Well, it depends to, on the smoke detector you have. Well, yeah, but most most of the cheapies still use americium, but. Um, they they are uh, exactly the same uh, radioactivity that killed that Russian guy um, when he was um, poisoned by um, the KGB. I thought he lived. No, not him. The other one, the one that did die. Oh yeah, yeah. The one they killed so the... many of them. I, 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 I know. I they know. poisoned so well, many of them. Over here, awesome. they poisoned them. But the... yeah. remember the guy that was stabbed in the in yeah, the leg, yeah, the umbrella. Yeah. Um, he, he that was done with um, a radioactive bead, mm. and then it. That's killed. true. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. I I wanted to ask uh, Cal, and I so I'll ask you, Steve. Is okay. yeah, so are you aware? Would you impersonate Cal? Could you really? Yeah, yeah. Just make, <laughs> say a lot of non nonsensical stuff, and then you'll be perfect. <laughs> and, and throw a few jokes about singing and movies. And mention and, Scott Rogo at every opportunity. And Scott Rogo, Evan Bayless. Yeah. Bayless and Rogo. Okay, you'll be all right. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, anyways, uh, I I don't know if you're aware of this, but during uh, one of the space shuttle things, they brought um, a deck of uh, cards up on the plane for uh, a experiment. Were you aware of this? One of the experiments? I've I've heard of it. Oh. Maybe they just wanted to play rummy. I don't know. No, no, no. It wasn't that kind of cards. Okay. Yeah. It was. So, it, you're not aware of it? Yes, I am. But I thought it was earlier. Or did have they done it more than once? Because there was no. a psych, there was a psychic guessing experiment undertaken during Apollo as well. I think it was Apollo. You're right, Steve. You know me. I get things muddled. Ah, okay. Yeah, I I stand corrected. Just trying to remember the name of the astronaut that did it. I was trying to think of it too while we were talking about that. Yeah. To get me and names. I mean, it was completely. It was completely. You know, it thought up by him. It wasn't. A, it was clandestine. Yeah, it wasn't a NASA-approved experiment. At all. No, he snuck no, these no. things aboard yeah. right, and just just did this you know, sort of experiment. Sure, I, why not? Try, I'm going to find out whether it works. Mm-hmm. And well, he claimed, well, they claimed it. To, 
it was claimed to be successful. And it depends yeah. which... It's kind of like... Sorry about the analogy, but it's kind of like your presidential race at the moment because <laughs> all of the believers jumped on, the, jumped on what he'd said as proof of the existence of telepathy over a distance because he was orbiting the Earth and blah, blah, blah. And all the sceptics went, yeah, but there are so many problems with this experiment. You know, there were mm. radio downlinks and everybody, you know, the other two astronauts knew you were doing it. And anyway, the, the person at the other end knew you were going to do it because you'd told them beforehand that you were going to do it. And so well, you, you end up with this... You end up in this this situation. Well, not according to Cal. Apparently, you just look at a computer screen um, <laughs> and dream about it. But well, this um, is the same thing as looking at a computer screen. You just look at cats. <laughs> and dream but about it. Uh, you end up in this situation where where both sides claim a success and both sides claim victory. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much with any experiment though nowadays, right? You, you, your believers will believe, and your skeptics will. Skeptic. Well, know, we, uh, we we used to argue, we used to say that, that that doesn't actually affect physics, um, you know, the physical experiments, uh, physical sciences, because we, you you would have a definite outcome. You know, it would either work or it wouldn't work. But we've seen lately, um, something we talked about in the in the first hour, which was this yeah. idea of interpretation and right. relating to Occam's razor. But um, even with physical sciences now we're we are dealing with people's beliefs where that is a more powerful motivator for for them than any experimental result so people it doesn't matter how many times you tell them that the earth is is basically a wet mob whizzing around in space <laughs> they say well yeah but when i throw a tennis ball up and it spins or you know if it's wet all the water flies off and how can how can water which always self levels you know hold itself to a to a to a, to a spherical object and anyway you know, when I stand on top of a mountain or when I you know, get up in an aeroplane and I look out the window, the world is always flat. Mm -hmm. I trust my senses. I trust what I'm seeing. And I don't believe you anymore. I think the world is flat. True. So there... you do have this uh, sort of uh, standoff now between belief mm -hmm. and between you know, the reality of physical sciences. There have been some experiments with, for instance, the, the praying aspect of uh, healing. Uh, I know there was at least one study done on that where, where uh, a certain group was prayed for under different religions, different methods, and the other group was not. And there was a, a uh, and this is, this is a very small study, was that uh, the the group that was prayed for did better than the group that uh, statistically better than the, the group that didn't uh, have received any prayers? Because I wouldn't want to be in the group that didn't. <laughs> it's like it's always the trouble with a placebo experiment, isn't it? You might be the one that doesn't get the uh, right. yeah. That kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah. I'll He's... only be I'll only be in your trial if I guaranteed to get the curative. Right. I want, the, <laughs> I want the good group. I want the good group. So, what was the outcome of the of the cards of is Zener? Is that what's the Zena? Zena. Yeah, they took Zena? it as a, a deck up. So, what was the outcome of that experiment? Well, well it was one you of know. these outcomes, as I was just trying to um, was explain. The, yeah, both sides claimed success. Um, ah, that okay. the you know 
those who believe that it, you know that it's statistically demonstrated or is a demonstration that um, there was some mental link, telepathic link um, mm-hmm. operating, and then the skeptics um, came along and went, well, well, actually, there's so many problems with this, it proves nothing at all. Well, the problem was it was such a not a it big was. Group. I mean, it was it was just an it was just an ad hoc experiment. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I know. I'm just uh, saying. But your outcome is your outcome. The outcome is the outcome. But the outcome but, was the the the, the there, were, there were so few controls put into place mm. that it it left the door open. Um, eh, yeah. Well, whatever. It, I mean, if if it did it off the cuff, why do you need control? I don't know. Why do you need controls? Um, if you're looking well, for proof, you do. Well, controls are important for several reasons because they they if 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 I want to convince um, one of the psychologists of something, then or 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 indeed one of the ghost hunters of something, then let, let's if I, if I may go back to my favourite subject of orbs, because when we were <laughs> when we were looking at when we were looking at uh, using the three D camera for the first time. Uh, the 3D digital camera for the first time. We needed to devise our experiments in such a way that it would be convincing to the ghost hunters um, for whom we, we, we intended the results. And so what we had to do is look at the way in which they were using the cameras, their own digital cameras, and also consider the way in which they were looking at the photographs. And we had to make sure that um, our experiment closely replicated the way that they were using the cameras and looking at their pictures in order for it to make it relevant to them. But we also had to look at um, these controls that were needed. How could we demonstrate that it wasn't a problem within the camera and how could we demonstrate that it wasn't uh, an effect that we were putting onto the pictures? So we had to we had to devise ways... Uh, of showing, you know, making it acceptable to both sides. Mm-hmm. And it's, okay. as, as Ron said, it's a way of then strengthening your argument. Right. All but right. just like we were talking earlier, there are still people that are going to not believe or believe one way or no, the other. Of course. Of course. Right. I mean, there are people that still believe psychics can foretell the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I can. <laughs> the show will end. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. As, there was a psychic once who claimed that they could. Um, they are uh, true, true, truly, that they could predict um, accurately when there was an eclipse. <laughs> wow! Wow! Yes, Until it was pointed, and and yeah, there were, there were people. This is this is in the latter half of the uh, 19th century, and there were people who were genuinely amazed until the astronomers went, "Yeah, we've been able to do that yeah. for quite some time." A lot of times. But this psychic was going round purporting that that was a special <laughs> gift. That, you know, and to, well, she to, was true. She was able to predict them. Yeah, and to <laughs> some, you know, to some people in the in the sort of farming belt of the Midwest where she was on tour, he was on tour, actually, this was actually quite a revelation. Ah, okay. All right. Because they had never realised, obviously, that, you know, that it wasn't something that ever occurred in their day-to-day sort of... They didn't read books about astronomy. They had no interest right. in astronomy. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, hard-working farmers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they knew a great deal about farming, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so when this when this person turns up and goes, hey, I can predict there's going to be a solar eclipse uh, three weeks on Wednesday at two o'clock in the afternoon. Ooh. And then the sky suddenly darkened. Um, yeah. It's Ooh, kind of like, what was it, King Arthur in the... What is it? Uh, a Connecticut Yankee in the court of King Arthur. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where he does exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of oh. like that. Aye. Good to know. So, going back to your hazardous material radium. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, I was watching... We should do a show on radium. Yeah, we should, really. Oh, should. wow, yeah. We, mm-hmm. we could eat it while we watch it, uh-huh. while we do it. Uh, anyways... I was watching, uh, once again, I, I mentioned this earlier, uh, that I've been started watching Most Haunted from the beginning again. That's and I, I like that show. In the beginning, the early shows were really, really good. In fact, Steve and I talked about uh, we're going to do uh, Most Haunted Revisited, where we're going to take a show and, and comment on, on some of the things that That's went on. Snigger. Uh, I won't. I will, I, be, will. I will be a guest. If that's even a word. Anyway, it's a good word. Yes. So, so they would. They were at a lighthouse, and I can't recall the name because it's me. And uh, <laughs> the interesting thing about the lens was floating in so many tons of mercury, liquid mercury. Uh, yeah, I, I, I know that? the light. I know the lighthouse, and and moreover. Um, only a couple of weeks ago, we were visiting the same lighthouse. Were you um, really? Really? And what that a mirror, that, oh. that, that um, Fresnel, that glass Fresnel lens. Yeah, Fresnel lens, yeah. Um, weighs five tons. Mm-hmm. Oh, my it, God. Um, yeah. And how they make it rotate seamlessly, obviously it's powered, um, so it's moved around, but it floats on, not tons of mercury it floats on less than a quarter of an inch of mercury ah. um, which is which is in a circular what? which is in a circular channel um and then Around the light the, the yeah right. and then the, the whole lens assembly answer is, the is, questions oh good lord i didn't even it. how did we get to the end of the show so fast well, yeah anyways oh. question number one every oh wait a minute did, which one did i start with the angel white angel right yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, the film White Angel, which tells the story of a serial killer, early foreshadowed events uh, that occurred uh, two years later, was partially filmed at what street? Baker Street, Downing Street, Cromwell Street, and? Baker. Steve? Cromwell Road. Cromwell Road it is. Eh, for me. Okay. Okay. Every two hours uh, for three weeks in the summer of 83, a Malaysian man produced what from his right eye? A maggot. A Mona Lisa. <laughs> a Mona Lisa or a piece of cotton matching his shirt. I've cotton. got cotton. I cotton. Cotton it was. And the last one, psychic Margaret Fleming projected her thoughts onto film. What image was found when the film was developed? A hippopotamus, a nude woman, or the Mona Lisa? I have a nude, a nude hippopotamus. I have. <laughs> I have no, actually, leaping, I have the Mona Lisa. I have a leaping nude. You are right. It is a leaping nude. Woohoo! I win. No, Steve won. Why? Why? He I got, got the most. Right. He got three. No, 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 I got two. He got two. I had a leap. I had a leaping naked hippopotamus. 
Oh, no. I, so I heard naked. He only got one. He said, you said the Mona Lisa. No, no, no. Steve. No. I, I, got, I, got, I got two. I got the first two right. Oh, yes, well, he... I got the last two right. Correct. Well, I got them all right, Time. so you all lose. Anyways, you had the answers. You've been listening uh, to Ghost Chronicles if Next Generation. Resolve, if, if, hang on. I want to thank Quinn Newby, our new call. Patreon member. You can uh, become a Patreon uh, member, too. Go to our page and uh, sign up at Patreon. You get exclusive content you can't get nowhere else. Also, I'd like to say hello to Craig DeGrout, Anna LaRoche, Anna Roach. Rocha and oh Susan God. Brown. And today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrick Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Galant and Messier Family Law Group. Good night and God bless everyone. Good and stay safe. Accepting a tie for that, for that answer. All right. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law.